The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Come in. Hi, Pat. Welcome to our igloo. How was your... Well, how was your trip? It's all right. Not usual. Well, that's fine. I think Dr. Carrington wants to see you. Dr. Carrington's going to have to wait. I want to talk to him. <laughs> what about? There was a downright dirty trick you played on me. Now, Pat, don't lose your temper. Why did you do it? Just tell me why. Well, uh, your legs aren't very pretty, well, and I didn't... have to write it on a note and put it on my chest. Other people got up before I did. I'm sorry, Pat. I really didn't six people read that note before I woke up. Now the whole Air Force is laughing at me. Not so loud. They'll hear They're you. They probably already heard. The only place it hasn't been is on a billboard. Ooh, I didn't know you had such a nasty temper. <laughs> Now, Pat, just be careful. Now, take it easy. Now, wait a minute. We had a lot of fun when you were up here. And then when you asked me down to Anchorage, you deliberately fed me a lot Tell of... Tell me something. Did you really drink all those drinks? Mm-hmm. You didn't throw any away or uh, anything? Not a one? No. Holy cat. <laughs> I thought I was good. And another thing. Why did you leave? When I woke up in the morning, you were gone. Well, I told you I had to take that cargo plane back here. You told me? Don't you remember? No. <laughs> Right after dinner. You were telling me all about, uh, about a night in San Francisco. Did I tell you that? Uh, mm -hmm. Oh. What else did I do? Well, uh, you had moments of kind of making like an octopus. I never saw so many hands in all my life. All right, all right. <laughs> Look, my only excuse is that I liked you. Right away. So I started wrong. Can't we begin all over? How Can't would we? you begin? Well, we could begin by saying, Welcome everyone, it is Thursday, February 8th, 2018. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be I've been witnessing a remarkable phenomenon here in Ontario over the past several weeks. A phenomenon whose cycle I have seen repeated many times over the years, during which my attentions have been turned to the field of politics and my personal involvement with the Freedom Party of Ontario. And that phenomenon is twofold. One, the degree to which Ontario continues in its extreme leftward direction. And two, the repeatedly misguided expectations of those who see Ontario's progressive conservative political party as some kind of alternative or reversal of the liberal government's disastrous 15-year rule in this province. Now, the latest new wrinkle in the same old pattern has been the hashtag MeToo movement, if it can even be called a movement at all. But you mix them all together, and you've got a pretty good idea of what the theme of our show will be today. A theme we will begin right after inviting you to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course all of our past broadcasts. Now full disclosure right off the top of our show... I certainly cannot in good conscience <laughs> pretend to be a disinterested interest 
in our subject matter of today, particularly given the fact that our focus will be on the Ontario provincial election scene and the recent dramatic events of the past few weeks that have made the upcoming June election newsworthy at this time. So to make it clear up front, in addition to being a regular host of this show each and every week, I'm also President and Chief Financial Officer of the officially registered Freedom Party of Ontario, which will be fielding candidates running in opposition to the candidates and various politicians we'll be hearing from and talking about today. I myself will not be seeking office in any capacity. Freedom Party's leader is employment lawyer Paul McKeever, who has also been both a guest and a co-host on Just Right. So I have a bias. And as always, my personal political bias has been freedom, capitalism, and the fundamental values of Western civilization. But today my bias extends as well to the only political party I know of that even points in the direction of these values, in the right direction, and that party is Freedom Party. Which, by the way, for those of you listening outside of Canada, has no affiliations whatever with any other parties of the same name that may exist in any other countries around the world. Now, believe it or not, our Ontario election story begins with several hashtag MeToo stories and themes, which may be the reason for the media's interest in Ontario politics at this early date. And particularly for our listeners outside the province of Ontario, and maybe for a lot who live here too. But here's a brief summary of recent relevant events, particularly relevant to our discussion today. First, there's an election coming up in Ontario in June of this year. Currently, the party that has been in power for some 15 years is the Ontario Liberal Party, now under the leadership of Premier Kathleen Wynne and previously under the leadership of Dalton McGuinty. She and her government, according to the polls, are extremely unpopular. The Liberal Party has been scandal-ridden. The party most expected to defeat the Liberals in the next election happens to be Ontario's Progressive Conservative Party, which was, until very recently, led by Patrick Brown, whom I have criticized many times in the past on both this show and in other public venues. Ontario also has a third significant political party that has captured seats in the Ontario legislature, and it's called the New Democratic Party and is led by Andrea Horwath. Now, Patrick Brown resigned as leader of the Progressive Conservative Party like within an hour after anonymous allegations of sexual misconduct, quote-unquote, arose as a result of some undefined past behavior by anonymous accusers, while a short time later, the president of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party, Rick Dykstra, resigned his post as party president for the very same reason, anonymous allegations of sexual misconduct. So here we are, only three or four months before Election Day. The Progressive Conservative Party must reorganize and elect a new party leader who's expected to take the reins of the party by March the 10th. Now that part of the story will continue a little later in the show today, but before the context of that story can be framed properly, let's first address this whole issue of the hashtag MeToo stories that have precipitated this. In today's leftist identity-based political environment, you can pretty well count on the fact that if it's based on the slightest hint of sexual impropriety on the part of some heterosexual male towards a female, 
it'll become a major news story. From Bill Cosby to Steve Pakin, the pattern is always the same. You get these allegations of some age-old improprieties, and then either anonymity or, if not that, at least immunity from making the accusations without due process, and the trials are held in the court of public opinion. And in the end, it's all BS. But the bull that the left insists we all accept and believe. They want us to believe this BS. Just like the BS that says the women must always be believed. For my part, I'll believe the evidence, not the allegations. Because when 100% of the allegations that I have already investigated on this show against Bill Cosby turned out to be not true, not so, it occurs to me that if you're playing the odds, the real formula to follow is, quote, never believe the woman, especially those who make their accusations in the court of public opinion. That should already be not on the table. Now, among the objectives of the left behind all of these hashtag MeToo accusations is the establishment of an anti-concept known as affirmative consent. And you won't hear about the media talking about this because they just don't get it. They, don't, they, they literally do not understand what is driving all of this, even when that very concept is being applied in our courts of law and, and in our courts of public opinion. But I have no intention of revisiting that issue today. Today it's about how the wave of the hashtag MeToo allegations is a phenomenon of the left and about how the so-called progressive conservatives have immersed themselves fully in this political bromide. Ontario's conservative political option is as left as the liberal and new democrat options. And it has been so long before I personally got involved in Ontario politics, and that was way back in the 1980s. And Ontarians have for years been voting for the options between socialism, socialism, and even more socialism. Now, immediately following the public announcements of the allegations made against PC leader Patrick Brown, London North Centre PC candidate Susan Truppe responded to a constituent's concerns about Brown's sudden resignation by writing, quote, as I am sure you've heard by now, two women came forward in the media with serious allegations of sexual misconduct against then-Ontario PC leader Patrick Brown. Having heard the details of the accusations, I issued a statement. Sexual misconduct and sexual harassment of any kind have no place in the workforce or anywhere in society. During my time as parliamentary secretary for the status of women, I heard from survivors. I heard from women suffering sexual harassment and abuse. I'm on their side. The allegations against Patrick Brown are both serious and troubling and do not reflect my values or those of the constituents of London North Centre. I'd like to thank the women for their bravery in coming forward. End quote. So wrote Susan Truppe, Ontario PC candidate, a response that sounds as leftist as any liberal or socialist take on this issue. She writes, two women came forward in the media. In the media? Shouldn't they have gone to the police? Shouldn't they have gone to maybe someone in the party inside? That's both unethical and immoral to first go to the media with anonymous, unspecified allegations. Issuing statements about sexual misconduct, quote, and quote, anywhere in society, has no bearing on this case whatsoever. I'm sure there are women who have had very serious things happen to them. 
But this is not the issue. You can't look at these issues in terms of group identities, and yet that's what Susan Troupe is doing. And as a past parliamentary secretary for the status of women, I'd like to ask her if there's a corresponding secretary for the status of men. We have a tremendous divide here in society. This is a polarity not of ideas, but of the sexes. These are not the kind of polarities you want, and yet it's the kind of polarities that the left depends on. Using words like, quote-unquote, survivors in the context of what appears to be relatively trivial behaviors about which allegations are being made is so far to the left that I cannot see how this person identifies as conservative in any way. And of course, the obligatory, I'd like to thank the women for their bravery in coming forward. You should be saying shame on you to those women, not thanking them for their bravery. And if they're brave, how come you're not brave enough to tell us just what the hell happened? Shame on you. Good Lord. Sexual misconduct. What the hell does that mean? Whatever else it might be, sexual misconduct is not rape, or they'd be telling you it was rape. Nor does it necessarily imply anything otherwise illegal or worthy of causing any fuss at all. In the case of Patrick Brown, the entire allegations we heard amounted to his approaching a woman, maybe making an advance on her. She said no. They went home. It was over. Nobody got raped. Nobody got attacked. Whatever the values to which Troupe referred to may be, her statement did not reflect anything that I could define as conservative values and everything that I would definitely typify as values of the left. It's all about what has come to be called identity politics, but which is really just another way of expressing collectivism, group rights group identities, zero individualism. It's all about race. It's all about sex. It's religion. It's culture. But not never about individuals or their individual characteristics or their individual responsibilities. And sadly, it is those characteristics, all of these group characteristics, that make today's politicians what is called electable. If you're on that side, then you're electable. So when Christy Blatchford in her national post column of January 26th asked, whatever happened to due process, she didn't really answer the question. She merely presented evidence that due process was something that the left hates. Quote, Andrea Horwath, leader of Ontario's New Democrats, was predictably even less circumspect, saying that she was pretty disgusted by the allegations, again by the allegations, not by what happened, she too fielded a question about the dangers of a trial in the court of public opinion. I really have two words about the justice system, she said. Jean Gameshi, she said, and went on to say that the justice system is failing women. So let's not pretend that we have a justice system that's actually protecting women and making sure women see justice. End quote. Writes Blatchford, Newsflash, the justice system isn't meant to protect women. Not to mention, not all of us need protecting. And Gomeshi was acquitted in a fair trial with rules and order and an appeal process. And he was acquitted not because the system failed women, but because his accusers failed women. They variously lied, colluded with one another, or failed to tell the truth to police and prosecutors. Let's be perfectly clear. The point is not what Brown allegedly did. The point is that purely on the say-so of two women who claim he sexually assaulted them, another prominent man has been ruined. Whatever the merits of their accusations, and how's anyone to know, 
The mere act of making them to a journalist was enough. That's all it takes now. It means that every man in the world is vulnerable, not because he's necessarily misconducted himself, but because a woman may say that he has, end quote. So just what has happened to due process? What has become of the Me Too movement? What is it all about? Well, it's a continuing, orchestrated, and purposely directed campaign to subjectify the laws relating to consent. We've dealt with this in detail, and I'm not making this up. This is, this is straight from the left themselves. They call it affirmative consent. It is an anti-concept that, according to those who invented it, requires verbal approval and consent, actions never count, from a woman to a man with regard to every possible sexual act from touching to intercourse, and without which that consent is no longer deemed to exist in the minds of the left. This is total nonsense. That's the game plan. In this particular instance, it's all about entrenching blatant sexism into our justice system. And all of our parties seem to be quite going along with it. Now, one of the most remarkable cases was the follow-up story surrounding the Gene Gameshi case, which, i, I got to tell you, utterly caught me by surprise when those verdicts came in. Gameshi's lawyer conclusively demonstrated that whatever other circumstances involved, and it was all about, you know, they liked rough sex and that kind of stuff, the women who forced Gameshi into the courtroom all consented to these encounters. There is no way that these circumstances, based on the evidence revealed, based on the women's statement themselves, there's no way that these things were not consensual. Rough sex, maybe. So, Gameshi's accusers colluded with one another, fabricated their accusations, withheld evidence in the forms of hundreds of emails that clearly demonstrated the falsity of their accusations. And yet, they get away. They face no consequences. Quite frankly, I think they should all be in jail. Wait, wait. These are sods. You should read this stuff. Sex wasn't so sweet to them. The Marquis de Sard. Hmm. He binds the girl, belly down, upon a dining table, and eats a piping hot omelet. Served upon her buttocks, he uses an exceedingly sharp fork. It was supposed to be quite exhilarating. Exactly. That's what we've lost. The danger, the delirium. I mean, that's what sex is supposed to be. Potent. That other highly respected sod, Shakespeare, wrote a story where the men ran naked through the streets and hit women with, with leather thongs to stimulate childbearing. So, in other words, Mother, sex is supposed to be dirty. If it's done properly. Me now? Not so. <laughs> What's that? Hey, gals, if a guy asks you to have dinner and buys you a drink or tries to kiss you, he's a wolf. <laughs> what are you laughing at? You ever kiss me? I haven't tried. How do you know? Oh, stop bringing that up. <laughs> Never mind, you haven't. Maybe if you 
go on with what you were saying. What? You know, about the dinner and the drink. Oh, well, if the same man asked to have 30,000 dinners in the same amount of drink... Then he's not a wolf anymore. No. That's fine philosophy. So you really want your hands untied. And just when everything was so nice and peaceful. <laughs> you know, I'm glad we decided to start over again. I like it. I like that, too. Oh, talk about Japanese tortures. No, not at all. I think this was a great idea. Come here. Well, look at you. Sitting there like a civilized man instead of grabbing around like a throwback. You got a minute? Well, if you weren't tied up, I wouldn't dare have told you how much I liked you. You know, Pat, the trouble with you is that you just don't know anything about women. What a woman wants is to... is to... How long have you been loose? Long enough. It's been a very interesting evening. Good night, Miss Nicholson. Well, while it may be possible to start over a personal relationship, you think it's possible for the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party to start over? Like just weeks before an election? Actually, I don't care. <laughs> Here's the really important question to ask. Does it even matter? People who see themselves, you know, as conservatives, they certainly think it matters. Because, of course, they want their party, quote-unquote, to win. And they hate the win named Kathleen, who happens to be female. So how do you beat Kathleen Wynne and her liberals? Why? By becoming just like them, according to the progressive conservative way of thinking. So now all of the conservative talk is about running a female leader, and in one fell swoop, conservatives move even further to the left to join their liberal brethren in the recognition of identity politics and a full rejection of individualism and of justice. You know, I have yet to see any policy or direction within the Progressive Conservative Party that could even be remotely called a policy of the right, which would be freedom and capitalism. If there's a proper place to actually talk about identity politics, here's the joke. It is definitely with regard to the identity of political parties and organizations. It's never correct to talk about identity politics in terms of individuals. Because in terms of political parties, this is the one area that identity is valid. And it is also routinely dismissed. And why is that? Because in this case, identity relates to what we've been talking about on this show for weeks and weeks and weeks, left and right. Very few people have any inkling of what left and right truly represent and how important that is, including many of those who most strongly represent each side of that polarity. They haven't got a clue that they're even there, especially so-called conservatives. They're the worst of the bunch. I say so-called because most conservatives aren't conservative at all, and of the few that are, they still vote against their own values and against their own conscience. They want to win rather than vote on their principles. And how do they do that? Well, by voting for or supporting anything or any party, any person, any plank, any platform that somebody simply calls conservative. And at the top of that list is the very unconservative, progressive, conservative party of Ontario. There's nothing conservative about the progressive conservative party. Nothing. Though called the Progressive Conservative Party, I would say it's 98% progressive and 2% conservative. And progressive meaning left, collectivism, group rights, identity politics, while conservative 
has any meaning that any particular person who calls himself that might think it means. And the differences in philosophies among conservatives themselves are as wide as any that you might expect to find between even the most extreme of political polarities. On the right, of course, sit freedom and capitalism, but conservatives virtually never talk about those ideas or those ideals. I mean, after all, when former PC leader Ernie Eves told Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever on a Toronto talk show that the purpose of government, quote, is to redistribute wealth, end quote, the failure of that statement to become a complete full-blown scandal among conservatives would suggest that most conservatives are in complete agreement with that purpose. And that's a 100% policy of the left. It defines the left. And yet that's how the leaders that they pick for that conservative party think. Out loud, too. Similarly, I long ago on this show explained and detailed how Patrick Brown was no conservative and was not a good leader for this province. The evidence keeps confirming that very assessment and the new people that they're picking for their leadership are, in essence, very, very much the same as Patrick Brown, ideologically. To conservatives, a good leader is never a principled leader. It's always an electable leader. And anybody who can get their party into power will do, even if it was Satan himself. Or should I say, Satan herself. Too bad that conservatives don't really care about this. And for evidence, I cite the upcoming audio bites taken from the February 1st CJBK AM 1290 broadcast of Andy Udman's Live Drive afternoon talk show. Now bear in mind that February 1st was the day that all of the leadership announcements were being made by various PC contenders. And they were being made public for the first time. So you're, you're hearing this as it was happening. Also bear in mind that almost all of the voices you will hear are familiar voices, to me at least, who consider themselves right-wing, including that of the show host himself, Andy Utman. Okay, this is a really interesting uh, breaking news. We had uh, Christine Elliott, and now oh, let's go to CTV. Carolyn Mulroney is in. Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. She is 43 years old, a successful lawyer. She hosted the Federal Conservative Leadership Convention last spring. Four young children, also reportedly a close friend of Meghan Markle, who will marry Prince Harry, of course, coming up in May. There has been a lot of buzz about Caroline Mulroney and the potential for her to take over the party, of course, after the abrupt resignation of Patrick Brown amid sexual misconduct allegations against him. We'll keep our eye on that and have a lot more on that No story. kidding. That's a major breaking news story, and that's the second announcement within the last 30 minutes. So, Christine Elliott, that broke just as we were coming on the air, and now that uh, breaking news from uh, CTV that Carolyn Mulroney is in the race. So, all of a sudden, all the stench of Patrick Brown and Rick Dykstra fades off into the back rooms, and uh, two women with uh, major star power have stepped forward. This changes everything.
Go to the phones. Richard's been waiting. Good afternoon, Andy. How are you this afternoon? Hi, Richard. I am tickled pink, Andy, that Christine Elliott, right, is going to be entering the race. And I'll tell you, it's up to the people of Ontario and up to the members to decide. But I'll tell you, if Christine Elliott, Andy, becomes the next Premier of Ontario, if she just turns out just to be half the Premier that her late husband was as our Federal Finance Minister, well, I'll tell you, the province of Ontario will be in wonderful hands. Go for it, Christine. Elliot and I wish you the best of luck. Have a good day, Andy. Okay, Richard, and I should add that uh, there's a direct connection to London. Christine Elliott's sister is the director of education for the uh, Thames Valley District School Board. So, Christine Elliott and Carolyn Mulroney are in the race. Texter says, Andy, my fear is that Christine Elliott and Carolyn Mulroney will split the vote and Rob Ford will come straight up the middle. A Ford victory could potentially spell another liberal victory. I don't think Ontario is prepared uh, to go to a government led by any Ford. We're going to squeeze in, Anne, because we have to uh, break soon. But, Anne, go for it. Thanks, Andy. You made my day. I'm thrilled Christine Elliott is running. I I thought she was wonderful. Finally, somebody we can vote for. Okay, why? Because she has integrity. She has experience. She's scandal-free. She's advocated for special needs children, mental health care, seniors. Uh, She's been a very involved person who's deeply respected by all different parties and in her community. And she's a woman. Yes, but she happens to be a very nice woman, too, not just her gender. She's got integrity. Do you think the new leader has to be a woman? Honestly, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but at this point, after all of the scandals, Actually, I think they do have to get a woman, yes. There we go. And I agree with you. I've changed my mind on that. I Normally, I would I'd say the best person for the job but in the politically toxic environment we're in has to be a woman. But again, that's major breaking news. Let's get some quick reaction on the phones from Jim. Hi, Jim. Yeah, I saw that tweet at 3 that Christine was in, and I'll be going onto the website and getting my membership renewed. Your faith has been instantly retor- restored in the Tory party? Well, I wasn't going to vote. For the, for the Tory party with Patrick Brown as the leader, and she came in second the last time, and uh, she has integrity, she's articulate, she's just uh, and I, I believe a good conservative. Sam, go ahead. Yep, thank God. I'm, by, I'm now officially a card-carrying member of the Conservative Party of Ontario. I gave my donation for Christine Elliott. I think we're on the way to getting rid of Kathleen Wynne. Okay. Uh, that dramatic. I, I happen to agree with you. I think I can feel the ground moving this afternoon. I think that um, uh, Premier Wynn is in a little room all by herself right now, and I hear, I hear some, <laughs> I hear some sniffles. Tom, your thoughts? Hi, right, Andy. Well, it's a good day for Ontario. It's a great day for Ontario. That's um, you know a couple of strong women, and um, you know, and, and of course Doug Doug Ford's running too. So. I guess the bottom line is if you can win in Toronto, you're going to win in, in Ontario because, I mean, the Liberals will, ne- will never get a vote outside of Ontario ever again. I mean, there's, you know... Outside of Toronto, you mean? Outside of Toronto, yeah. That's not what I said. They'll, they'll never get a vote. There are a couple of pockets here and there in, in London and Windsor and Ottawa. But other than that, they, you know, you got to be able to win in uh, Toronto. And uh, Kathleen, or Miss uh, El- Elliot is obviously popular in Toronto. So, you know, it's a great day for Ontario. Uh, Tom, let me ask you, uh, and uh, forgive me if I've asked you this before, does this leader this time in this politically toxic environment in which politicians are falling like flies because of allegations, men are, um, uh, uh, do the Tories have to choose a woman? 
You know, I don't. I don't think so. I think people are looking for people are looking for something that's going to help us out of this quagmire that we're in. I mean, you can just wait for the attack ads that are going to come over the liberals. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean. You know, I mean, could be Vic Fidelity. I mean, what does he do? He dances in front of the mirror with uh, women's underwear on at night. You know, who knows? I mean, they're going to come up with something, right? <laughs> and it, it, I mean, Miss Elliot, she's maybe hates cats or something. You know, I mean, it's going to it's going to come out. They're just going to come out with any kind of nonsense. So that's what they do because that's the guy. So, are you a little more comfortable with a woman in the, as a uh, as a leader than a man? You know, it doesn't buy, it doesn't matter to me at, at this stage. I would I would vote for. Her anything besides I would vote for, for Kathleen because she just she doesn't deserve vote she didn't deserve vote last time and she's she, really does, she deserves it even less this time okay Andy. Tom I appreciate it longtime veteran reporter uh, Craig Oliver with uh, his thoughts on this uh, dramatic news this afternoon that both Christine Elliott and Carolyn Mulroney are now in the Tory race. This uh, campaign source is saying that Caroline Mulroney, daughter of former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, is going to enter the leadership race to take over the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party and that that will happen in the next couple of days. 43 years old, she would certainly add some star power to the campaign and her name has been talked about for the past couple of weeks, a lot of buzz around her. She was educated at Harvard, a successful lawyer, mother of four. She's said to have significant support from the PC caucus who think that she is the only one who can realistically beat current Premier Kathleen Wynne and the Liberal Party, which, by the way, has been in power in Ontario for 15 years. Mulroney is also the progressive conservative candidate provincially for the riding of York Simcoe. Also reportedly a close friend of Meghan Markle, who will marry Prince Harry coming up in May. Mulroney would join Doug Ford, the brother of Rob Ford, former mayor of Toronto, who has already jumped into the race. Her father told CTV News earlier this week he thinks she would be an outstanding representative for Ontario. Of course, the PC party is in turmoil these days after the abrupt resignation of leader Patrick Brown amid allegations of sexual misconduct. Is Caroline Mulroney the way to go? Let's bring in CTV News political commentator Craig Oliver standing by in Ottawa with more on this. What do you make of Caroline Mulroney throwing her hat into the race, Craig? Well, it's no surprise. Um, I think that she will be a credible candidate. Um, it's unusual, but remember, when her father got into politics, he had a lot of experience in law and business, just as she does. Um, and he came from outside in the beginning. Finally, had to, somebody had to give up a seat for him once he got elected. Uh, so there's that analogy. Uh, and I can think of, uh, on the larger picture, of, between her and Christine Elliott, Uh, I can think of all kinds of examples historically of where somebody jumped into a race halfway through unexpectedly and changed the whole nature of it, creates a momentum that wasn't there before. Uh, Considering the um, state uh, at which the Liberal Party is and polls which haven't even changed as much uh, since the leader fell, uh, I I think either one of them has a good chance uh, to defeat the Liberal Party in Ontario. Uh, I think Christine Elliott, uh, who is a strong woman, smart woman, uh, very well liked and, and has great roots in the party, uh, has probably a, a chance of, uh, of beating, well, either one of them has a chance of beating her, but I, I think Mulroney has the ability to catch fire. Uh, that happens in campaigns. 
And again, I'm thinking of the analogy of uh, Trudeau, who was written off by so many people for so long, except not written off by voters. What a dramatic afternoon it has uh, turned out to be with those big, big, big... I mean, this could potentially, folks, change all of our lives. Because um, I think we, we have a consensus going here that this is the kind of name recognition that we need uh, to end this uh, shameful liberal government. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who've made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless archived broadcasts featuring our past discussions of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. Two things that the right wing and conservatives never talk about. Now, what we just heard was a broad selection of conservative voices and perspectives about which it was rather impossible not to notice the great divide between the conservative voters on the one side who all lined up behind the extreme leftist Christine Elliott and the Conservative Party executive and insiders who seem to be lining up behind Carolyn Mulroney. And these are not the only divisions within the ranks of those who see themselves as conservative. What is most baffling is how the entire election for progressive conservatives is all about personalities and their electability. Ideas and policies are definitely taking second place or even irrelevant and not even mentioned in their discussions. This changes everything, says Andy Ootman, repeating an expectation that I have seen dashed over and over and over again in past elections. I got a kick out of caller Richard, who said that he was, quote, tickled pink that Christine Elliott is entering the race. Well, that's the right color to be tickled when it comes to Christine Elliott. <laughs> that's for sure. He sure wasn't tickled blue. And then there was a texter concerned that Doug Ford would come up the middle in a three-way race. Andy Utman also agreed that Ford would not make a good party leader. So there you have the one candidate who at least has the appearance of being on the right is immediately dismissed for PC leadership. This is just too funny to be funny. Now, Anne was one of the few callers I would identify on the left. She has many times in the past said that she supported the NDP, and she says she likes Christine Elliott because that's someone we can vote for. She's scandal-free, integrity experience, advocate for special needs, mental health. And then she adds, yes, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they should get a woman. And again, Andy agrees that a woman should run particularly in this toxic political environment. So Andy himself, along with others who share this point of view, have chosen to become part of the toxicity that they admit to and are fully willing to support and perpetuate. That, by the way, makes them very typical PC supporters and candidates. Then there's Jim, who says, I'll be renewing my membership. Wasn't going to vote Tory with Patrick Brown as the leader. Christine Elliott is articulate and a good conservative, he says. Yet Christine Elliott is not, and never has been, an ideological conservative. She's a progressive, just like Patrick Brown. She's on the left. Clearly, either people do not know who these candidates are. You know, people on the left can be nice people, too. <laughs> That's not what you should be going by. Ideas are not on the scale of consideration here. Mere personality is. 
Caller Sam said, Thank God, I think we're on our way to getting rid of Kathleen Wynne. Well, to what end, Sam? To get another leader who has the same policies? Is that what you think is affecting your pocketbook? Caller Tom thinks it's a great day for Ontario. Whoever wins in Toronto wins the election. Elliot is popular in Toronto. People are looking for someone to get us out of this quagmire we're in. I would vote for anything besides Kathleen, he says. <laughs> but to what quagmire was Tom referring? If he's willing to vote for anything besides Kathleen, then hey, vote NDP. How is it that so many people seem to think that Ontario's quagmire was caused by one person, Kathleen Wynne? This is completely irrational. Utterly irrational. In fact, Ontario's quagmire, if we shall call it that, has mostly been the result of progressive conservative governments. Governments who gave us our hydro monopoly, PC governments who gave us Ontario's income tax, PC governments who gave us socialized medicine, PC governments who banned private health insurance, PC governments committed to fighting climate change, and on and on and on and on. Give me one, one policy that could be called right that the PCs have ever advocated. Maybe it's just slipped my mind. There might be one somewhere that I missed over the last 30 years. And lower taxes is not it. Conservatives are merely socialists who think of themselves as fiscally responsible, at least the, the conservatives of today, progressive conservatives. Although even there they have no case to present. I could spend an entire show reviewing all of the tragic and leftist policies pursued relentlessly by PCs. Progressive means left. Left means communism, fascism, socialism, and anything except free markets, freedom, and capitalism. Conservatives always pay these values lip service, but never deliver, because they see their electability as dependent on getting left-wing voters who outnumber anybody on the right in this province today. That's a fact. But instead of leading and demonstrating how a government moving in the right direction would be best for all concerned, PCs follow instead, while lying to their supporters on the right that they'll do something right, which I have yet to live to see. Then we heard from veteran reporter Craig Oliver, who reported that campaign sources say Carolyn Mulrooney will enter the leadership race. And Mulrooney has significant support of the Conservative caucus. Andy Udman said this could potentially save all our lives. We have the name recognition that we need to end this shameful liberal government. Yes, Andy, and then we'll have a shameful PC government should they get elected. And there you have it, conservatism in all its glory, name recognition. And yet if you ask the average Ontarian who the current leaders of our provincial parties are, you'd probably get a blank stare from the vast, vast majority of them. You know, Ayn Rand referred to this kind of thinking, which she saw mostly among conservatives and libertarians, as being an anti-conceptual mentality. I mean, she even referred to such people as representing, quote, quote, unquote, the missing link in the human evolutionary process. Like, ouch. Conservatives are completely concrete bound. It's their curse. They think that being fiscally conservative, quote, unquote, has something to do with conservative principles. The two things have nothing to do with one another. Conservatives continually dismiss the importance of philosophy while constantly virtue signaling their so-called conservative values. Now, it's one thing 
for the leftist communist and socialist fascist parties like the liberal New Democratic parties to openly advocate and spout their poisonous venom in the political arena. At least they're preaching what they practice. But what has continually made conservatives the worst of the bunch is that they like to be seen preaching the ideals of the right while practicing the ideals of the left, and this gives the right a bad name in every way possible. This has effectively prevented any true representative of freedom and capitalism from making an appearance on the political scene, both here in Ontario and abroad elsewhere. This, this principle is universal. Here are a couple of conservative commentators who are new to me, but who voiced very different preferences from the various conservative voices we just heard. And featuring Ontarian Jill Colton on her YouTube channel in discussion with Manitoba political commentator Spencer Fernando. For them, Doug Ford is the guy who would fight the establishment and beat Kathleen Wynne in Ontario. <laughs> Meanwhile, all the others totally rejected him. So I think I did like a, a little thing on my Twitter account yesterday asking people who they wanted uh, to be the new leader and Doug Ford overwhelming. And I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that he would be the anti-establishment candidate. I think people are tired of this endless bureaucracy. We have these lifelong bureaucrats in these roles. And I think people are fed up with it, especially after 12 years of liberal rule and seeing what the bureaucrats have done to the province. So what do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think the, uh, the big issue is that it's the establishment has control of all the parties in Ontario, it seems at this point. So Doug Ford is going to have to fight as an outsider. I did a Twitter poll myself and about 56% of people said they wanted Doug Ford. So it seems like there's a lot of grassroots support for him. He's going to face an onslaught from the establishment, obviously, in the media. So see what happens. Yeah, no, I definitely think that the media and the political elites are against the average people. And I, we saw that reflective in the Donald Trump election. And now we're starting to see it here. And even a couple of days ago, I saw an Andrew Coyne article saying that the elite should be choosing. And I thought, no, 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 no. The government works for the people, not the other way around. The people should have a say in who their leader is. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, the, if you look at a lot of issues in the country, there's, it seems a purposeful attempt to make sure that what people actually want doesn't actually get to the top and doesn't get represented by leaders. Uh, Bill, 60, uh, Bill 62 is the example of that I come back to again and again. The majority of people in every province said they wanted it, and then all the political leaders of all parties said, oh, it's racist, it's Islamophobic. So there's obviously a big disconnect, and the people in power want to keep that disconnect going. Yeah, I, you know, it's obviously serving politicians, uh, the business elites in the country, the lobbyists, the foreign donors, all of these sort of people. Meanwhile, you know, taxpayers are not getting what they want at all. And so I can understand why people get really frustrated with politics. That's why I think uh, Doug Ford would actually be good because he is so anti-establishment. But my personal theory on it is that he has put his name in the mix because he wants to win the mayor's seat. I think he wants to get rid of John Tory, and I think that this is a really good way for him to get his name out there and create some interest in him so people can see how he does as a politician. I think that his goal is to be the mayor. One of the things that I've been um, sort of annoyed at, actually, in the articles that I've seen in the National Post, and John Iveson wrote an article, I think it was yesterday, talking about the fact that she, you know, Miss Mulroney is a woman. 
and that she would be a great leader because she's a woman and women can get behind her and vote for her. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm a woman and I could care less that she's a woman. I just think that we're starting to see a lot of identity politics now on the right. And I don't think it's a good thing. I think we should go back to merit. And to me, it's about ideas. Like who has the best platform? Not the fact that she has the correct genitalia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it should be about person, not uh, not their uh, identity politics. And it's unfortunate because the right is supposed to be, you know, the people who are against identity politics and saying it's about merit, saying get the best person for the job, regardless of who they are. And it seems like there's some discussion that it's it's not really going that way. So it's not a good trend for the country because then there'll be nobody who's not playing identity politics. Exactly. He stole that rattletrap ship of hers. I believe I'm beginning to like him. Tyr, you don't mean that. Yes, I do. It's the first self-motivated act I've seen around here in months. And now, may I suggest that we drop that insipid Swami Serenity Kalsa off at the next drift and make a graceful exit before someone starts shooting at us? You know I can't do that. No. No, of course not. Because, and let me see if I've got this down, our alliance with the Wayists, etc., etc., uh, reuniting the system's commonwealth, and so on and so forth, enhancing our reputation as peacemakers ad nauseum. Am I close? Reasonably, yes. Don't you ever get tired of it? I mean, trying over and over again to help people who couldn't care less about you in the name of a cause that's been dead for 300 years. You take that back. It's okay. Tears right. He is? Yes. It does get frustrating fighting so many losing battles, but I never expected anything different. I'm trying to erase 300 years of chaos and corruption. I'm not going to win every time. But when we do win, it's going to be big, big news. So if I were you, I'd stick around. It's going to be an amazing ride. So here I sit as president of the officially registered Freedom Party of Ontario, a party which I very strongly believe and know has all of the right ideas and policies for Ontario, ideas that are diametrically opposed to those of the ruling three parties in the legislature, and yet people who, who supposedly agree with our ideas and who know that FP is the vehicle for them, they continually fail or refuse to vote for Freedom Party. In her own online poll, Doug Ford was selected overwhelmingly as an anti-establishment candidate by Jill Colton's followers as the best leader for the PC party. Spencer Fernando got his 56% support for Ford. Obviously, they weren't hearing London's conservative voters, nor were they listening to the inside conservatives in the PC party. They're all on completely different pages on this. The government works for the people, asserts Jill. The people should have a say as to who their leader is. Well, if you're thinking like that, this is pure fiction. It's parties who decide who their leader is. And people get to decide which political party they will support if they want to support a political party at all. Political parties are private organizations, although all of the parties in the legislature have done their best to turn them all into one big government-run entity. 
The establishment has control of all the parties in Ontario, it seems at this point, uh, said Spencer. I think he has no idea just how pathetically true his statement is. Even Freedom Party is being controlled by this fascist establishment. We're not even allowed to associate with our leader or candidates for fundraising purposes anymore. Freedom of association at the political level has been banned in Ontario. And I have yet to hear a single so-called conservative even complain about it, let alone want to change it. Now, in a back-and-forth email exchange among various freedom and conservative-minded people, to which I am privy, Robert Vaughn made an interesting comment that got a very interesting reply. And he wrote, quote, Electing a single Freedom Party candidate to sit in Parliament would entirely change the tenor of debate in that institution. I have no unrealistic dreams that in June Paul McKeever will be our Premier, but I can tell you unequivocally that if McKeever or any other single FP candidate won his seat, then the agenda of Parliament would be pushed dramatically away from the disastrous course it has been on. All eyes would be fixed on what that new member had to say, and you can bet that any time he or she rose to speak in Parliament, it would be like a breath of fresh air in that stale chamber. Such a beachhead would be followed by a succession of wins in future elections, just as Deborah Gray was the foot in the door for the Reform Party, then the Canadian Alliance, to the newly crafted Conservative Party, so too will a single Freedom Party candidate in Queen's Park be the foot in the door for all freedom-loving Ontarians. The PCs are no different than either the Liberals or the New Democrats, he continues, uh, neither historically nor in their currently held stated policies. An election is not simply about unseating the current corrupt party or leader or replacing him or her with another corrupt party leader. It's about voting for the candidate and party that represents your values. If your candidate loses, as most candidates from all parties will do at some time or another, then you can hold your head up high with a clear conscience. Naturally, I'll be voting Freedom Party, win or lose, says Robert. Now, in response to that comment, Robert got some comments from uh, writer Arthur M., whose attitude on this is very much like what I keep hearing over and over again from people who say that they like what Freedom Party represents but will always refuse to support the party either provincially between elections, you know, as a member, or even voting for them during elections. And it always starts like this. While I admire your vision, <laughs> a single member will have about as much effect as standing on the ground blowing against the wind in front of a wind turbine. In London, how effective was Paul Van Meerbergen as a principled conservative-leaning politician against a mere 19 left-leaning civic politicians in London? Well, to begin with, Paul Van Meerbergen was not a principled conservative. He was a fiscal conservative. And you could always count on him to keep taxes down, but that didn't make him principled. That just made him consistent. And he would never, a principled politician would explain why those lower taxes are beneficial to London, not just merely state that they are necessary. He continues, looking the other way, can you show how Elizabeth May's election to Parliament has changed things in either the Conservative or Liberal-dominated parliaments. Well, yes, I can, Arthur. Everything's green now. Hello? Everybody's green. It only took a handful of people to do it. And everybody followed suit. 
Arthur continues, the only thing which will allow a new party like the Freedom Party generally seems to be the utter collapse of the old parties. As far as I've been able to determine, the party which collapses generally has no answers to the new questions of the day. Now, Arthur's completely correct on this point. And that is exactly why Freedom Party has been targeting the PCs more than the Liberals. The PCs must collapse if any future movement in any right direction is ever to take place. They are the problem. So the real question I have for folks like Arthur is why do you continue to pine for a party that is in the process of collapsing, that's a purely evil and left-wing party, while openly rejecting a party whose, quote, vision you admire? Am I on the right planet? This is so unprincipled on every level possible. I really don't know how to impress upon you what you seem to already know. For Freedom Party to become successful, he continues, they simultaneously have to be able to articulate their message in an environment where these messages are shut out of mass media and build large and deep networks of supporters by demonstrating somehow that their messages are relevant to the voting public. I know this will grate on true Freedom Party members, but reason and dialectic are generally poor ways of introducing ideas and gaining converts. Most people will be swayed by rhetoric and emotions. Well, again, there's some truth to that, Arthur. But Freedom Party has been doing exactly that. And Freedom Party does not promote its principles to the public. It's not, we operate on our principles. To the public, we do exactly what all the other parties do. In 30-second commercials, we don't go and say reason is the thing that you have to follow. We use humor. We use sarcasm. I mean, our ad picking on Kathleen Wynne saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that thing just got everyone's attention. And it raised our profile, and it raised the number of votes that our candidate, Al Gretzky, got. So, these arguments do not fit with evidence. Yes, we do appeal to emotion, but reasonable emotions, not irrational emotions. I can't think of a single Freedom Party policy that is not relevant to the voting public. Just can't. So, you see, these are the kinds of arguments that we're always up against. Haven't got into any basic policies. Save that for a future show. But in the end, arguments about why a party like Freedom Party is not getting the support of conservatives who say they admire the party's principles, these are all rationalizations for excusing the speaker's own shortcomings in the principal department. They won't follow through with actions. They just want to vote for a winner, even if that winner leads them directly into the fires of hell, which is the domain of the left. Just ask Saul Alinsky. So we'll talk more about Freedom Party and the specifics of why Freedom Party's policies are just right for Ontario in the very near future. But in the meantime, Andromeda's Captain Hunt called the shots just right. And when he said, and we heard him, it does get frustrating fighting so many losing battles, but I never expected anything different. I'm trying to erase 300 years of chaos and corruption, and I'm not going to win every time. That's exactly right. That's exactly what we're fighting. I mean, the, the, the large parties have been entrenched literally for centuries. They come from a, from a huge background. Freedom Party is something new. And as he says, but when we do win, it's going to be big news. So if I were you, I'd stick around. It's going to be an amazing ride. And it's a ride that will continue here one week from today. So be sure to join us again then when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right for heaven's sake. Think right and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fading.
color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. I noticed recently you can tell a lot about somebody by their email address. Like you see Dragon Hunter 1965. You're like, all right, that's a 40 something lonely dude. And then you see Sexy Lady XXX. That's the same guy. Yeah. And there he is.